Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And this week is one of our favorite episodes. We are going to discuss our favorite reads of the year. Yay! So, uh, Anne, how did you feel like this year's reading was? Better or worse than last year? I think when we first started the podcast back up, you, you said it was more of a tough reading year for you. Is that right? I think it was at the beginning, and then it kind of evolved into a really good reading year, and, oh, and definitely better than last year. Um, when I looked back over my books from last year, I had, an, I definitely had enough to have a top 10, but I felt like I had fewer possibilities to pick from. Mm-hmm. And this year, I easily could have had a top 15, because yeah. there were just so many things that I liked. And so, and I felt like there was less filler, um, and... I don't really know what what the reason for that would be because it's not like I changed any of my habits other than I am doing more audiobooks than I did last year but mm. um I don't know that that would change filler versus non-filler so I'm not sure but but yeah it turned out to be a pretty good year um Oh that's awesome. Yeah, how about you? Yeah, so as I've mentioned I'm doing this committee for uh, the American Library Association so my reading is very directed in one way, uh, but then also I have a lot of freedom within the genres that I'm reading to read all sorts of different things to try to find the best of those genres. So I thought this was actually a really good year, a really good reading year. I read, I had the same problem. I read a whole bunch of books that I really, really liked and narrowing it down to 10 wasn't difficult, I shouldn't say, because I, I just picked the first 10 basically that came to my mind. But then as I was thinking more about it, I thought, oh, I could I could maybe do this one. I could maybe do yeah. that one. So there are actually a few on your top 10 list that would have gone on mine, but you're talking about them, which is great because that freed yeah. up spots on my list. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I thought I had a pretty good reading year. I feel like I've had a lot of books this year that I've been recommending to other people to read too, which is fun. I feel like there are some reading years I have where I like a lot of what I read, but it's not gener- it's not necessarily books that I I don't know, not necessarily books that I'm like shouting from the rooftops about, right. if that makes sense. But yeah. this year, in fact, the first one I'm going to talk about, I have recommended to so many people in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, so, so yeah, that was, that was a difference in this year, I think, in that I was talking more, I think, about the books that I was reading with people maybe, or sharing on Instagram recommendations and things. So I do feel like that was a little bit different this year, but I thought it was a pretty solid year. Yay, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So we have a lot to talk about. So I think maybe yeah. we just dive in and, and do ours, go back and forth with each of mm-hmm. our lists. And it, these will be a bit shorter of descriptions as we talk about them, just because we have so many. Yeah, uh, but in theory. In hopefully. theory. I know. I know. It <laughs> might not happen. But it might. You never know. Yeah, we'll, so. we'll try our best. <laughs> All right. Go ahead, um, So actually, first, I wanted to say I, I agree Um or I, I, I think it's uh, nice for us to each do 10, no matter whether we overlapped, because I think our first year we did do our true top 10. And mm-hmm. so we didn't give 20 books right. as our favorites. And so I right. think it's fun that we we give everyone, we give right. 
20 good books. So some yes. of them will are definitely things that we we both loved and we'll we'll comment on that, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. So my first book is uh, my very, very favorite book of the year. It's Fingersmith by Sarah Waters. And it's set in Victorian London. And it's about a, a girl named Sue Trinder. And she grew up in a slum south of the Thames. And she, when she was a, a young girl, she saw her mother hanged. And so she's raised by a woman named Mrs. Suxby, who essentially rules over a den of thieves. They're not related to each other in any way, but they form this kind of family together. And they're each basically running their own type of scam. So they're called fingersmiths, which is uh, where the title comes from. So one of these thieves is named, um, or he's called Gentleman. He's uh, has a different name, but he's well-respected within the house because he grew up wealthy and he's refined. And so he can kind of code switch between different groups of people. So he asks Sue to help with an elaborate con, which um, he started a while ago. So he's been posing as an art teacher for a rich young woman named Maud Lily at her country house, where she lives with her uncle. And he wants Sue to pose as a lady's maid to help secure her her, uh, eventual seduction so that he can marry her and then put her in an asylum and then take her inheritance, which he will then share with Sue. So Sue agrees, but she's surprised once she gets there about um, how her feelings change change once she meets Maud. She has a, a not quite the situation she expected to have. Um, she's in this uh, country house and she's isolated with her uncle, who's quite cruel. And so they become companions to each other since they're basically just alone uh, in the world. But then their their feelings begin to intensify. So um, the tension uh, just gets ratcheted up throughout the first half of the book. Um, there's this tension between Sue and Gentleman as they get closer to their goal, and Sue is starting to have second thoughts, and then there's sexual tension between Sue and Maud. Then there's also the tension of whether this con is actually going to work. So that's maybe the first third of the book, and then you get to this point where you realize there's much, much more going on than you were expecting when you started the book. And it, I, I very rarely have times when I just sit back and kind of stare into unbelievingly (laughs) can't handle what's going on in this book and I gasped out loud many times when I read this and it's just such a satisfying read in that way it's very feminist and it's very aware of the powerlessness that women have when they don't have control of their situations but this book allows them to have control and it has a lot to say as far as that goes but it's also really readable and it's long but you won't want to put it down and I just I just adored it it blew me away completely and that is Fingersmith by Sarah Waters that has on, been on my to-read list since it was published. <laughs> oh my gosh, you have to read it. And it's goofy because I've read other books of hers and loved them, and I yes. just hadn't gotten to that one yet. So it's amazing. That's awesome. Something fun for me to look forward to. Yes. So my first one is also, I actually have two absolute positively favorites of the year. Uh, and the first one is The Flat Share by Beth O'Leary. This is the one I said I have been recommending to so many people because I think it's just the perfect combination of being humorous and romantic and it's a really sweet story but there are also some serious parts to it so it's just this great great combination that really sucked me in and I think would for a lot of different people. The premise is really fun and interesting. It is about a woman named Tiffy who has broken up with her boyfriend and she is desperate for a place to live and she sees an ad to share a flat with somebody who works nights so they literally share a 
bed, but one, because she works during the day and this person works nights, they'll never see each other. So, and then he also, the person who has the flat has a girlfriend. So on weekends he will be with his girlfriend. So it seems like kind of an ideal situation, even though it's a little bit weird. Um, So Leon is the flat owner or renter. I don't, I don't remember that part of it, but anyway, their relationship begins very innocently they don't actually ever meet to begin with i think it's his girlfriend who actually least sublets the house or the flat to her so they haven't met but they start communicating by leaving post-its for each other and it starts very innocently where one of them will have made a meal and have leftovers and leave a post-it saying there's there's some left in the fridge if you want some or it's trash night don't forget to put out the trash for the morning or whatever it might be but they soon start having this legitimate friendship all through post-it notes or through notes <laughs> written uh to each other and they still have not met and they start confiding in each other a little bit and then one day tiffy is running late for work and leon gets home from his shift at work and they do meet and they realize all of a sudden when they meet in person that maybe there's more to their friendship than just this post-it note communication. So it's just, it's such a fun setup. It is, if you like romantic comedies, the like 90s romantic comedy movies that were very popular for a time, this just fits right into it. Like Bridget Jones's Diary a little bit. It's just, it was so fun. It was so sweet. I loved it. It's The Flat Share by Beth O'Leary. That sounds super fun. And I kind of love the ridiculous uh, setups for books like that. Uh-huh. I, f- I find them so satisfying to read. <laughs> so great. <laughs> it sounds so really great. cool. <laughs> um, so my next book I know is a shared top 10 favorite yes, of both of it us. Is. It's Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And we talked about this very recently. So it was on our page to screen episode, uh, I think just two episodes ago. And so you may remember it. It's um, written as an oral history of a legendary band from the 1970s. And they only had one album and they broke up suddenly the night they were going to have this massive arena concert, I I think in Chicago, and no one knows why this happened. So all the key players are finally going to tell what went down this night. So it starts out with Daisy Jones uh, being an it girl of the LA rock scene. She's gorgeous and charismatic, but she's also addicted to drugs. And so she's really deeply troubled. And she's seen as this muse to other male rock stars, but she wants something else. She doesn't want to be amused. She wants to tell her own story. So at the same time, there's a band called The Six that's starting to have mild success. And it's fronted by a man named Billy Dunn. And he's totally in control of the group. And they kind of to the detriment of of everyone else in the band. So Daisy and Billy are brought together by a producer for a collaboration and uh, it's supposed to just be one song but the result is magical so they decide to form a single band called Daisy Jones and the Six. And there's lots of tension from the start because there's resentment that Daisy is in the band at all and there's resentment that Billy has so much control everything and there's this obvious chemistry between Daisy and Billy when he is married to his high school, high school sweetheart Camilla and that just complicates things in in the band for everyone. So the book documents the creation of their iconic album Aurora and uh, explains everything that was happening behind the scenes and then what happened to make everything fall apart in the end. And as we talked about in our uh, lengthier discussion of this book, it just feels real. There's there's no way to read this book and not want to hear this music and see these clips and know these people in 
in real life. It's it's just so cinematic and it's unputdownable. And it got me out of this really awful reading slump. And so this may be the most purely enjoyable book I read this year. So it holds a special place in my heart. And that is Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Wholeheartedly agree with that one. My next one yeah. is, yeah. My next one is The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay. And this, as I describe it, if you've listened ever to the show, it's not going to surprise you that this is one of my favorite books because it is one of those books that follows characters throughout many years of their lives. And just you become completely immersed in what's happening to them. It is about a group of friends during the AIDS crisis in New York in the 80s. And then there's also another storyline in 2015 that involves the sister of one of the men who had died. It's a, So the book opens with this group of friends attending the funeral of one of their friends who has died of AIDS. And it's his sister, the, the person who passed away, who becomes part of this friend group. And then in 2015, she is in Paris trying to track down her daughter, who is estranged. And so as the story goes on, the the 80s storyline moves forward. And then in the 2015 storyline, Fiona, the woman, is thinking back on her her friendships and her brother and all these different things from the 80s. So it's almost like in a weird way, the story kind of like meets in the middle, although it, it doesn't actually, but it, it just the way it's it's laid out it feels very uh like they're very intertwined the the two storylines yeah i just i love it so much and it's just oh the friendships in this book are amazing and the characters feel so real if if you read a little life a few years ago by hanya yanagahara which was one of my favorite books that year it had a similar feeling i would say it's lighter a little life is sort of an exercise in devastation, um, but um, and this this has its moments. I mean, it's about AIDS, but it, it wasn't that brutal emotional trauma that a little life was, at least for me. And it, I mean, it is heartbreaking, but there all this, there's a lot about the family that you choose because some of the men that are part of this friend group don't have relative blood relatives who support them anymore and so it's all about their found family the people that you choose to have in your life the people who choose to support you and stand by you when things get hard so this is a book that I feel like if you just want to sink into it and just really spend some time with well-drawn characters a storyline that is compelling and um, really like brings a time and place to life of New York City in the 80s. I think this is a great recommendation. It is The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay. It's so funny. I had that set aside to read really? uh, recently and then had to move on to something else. I must have been for a book club for something and I don't know. I don't remember what it would have been, but um, but yeah, now I want to make sure I prioritize it. Yeah, we read it in my book club. It was, it was one I had had on my list for a while. And so when we were selecting books for my book club, I suggested it. And we actually just talked about it on Thursday. Oh, <laughs> but cool. I, I read this several months ago, but, but we just talked about it on Thursday. So. Awesome. Yeah. Um, up next is Pumpkin Heads by Rainbow Rowell and Faith Erin Hicks. And this is a graphic novel, which is kind of unusual for me mm-hmm. because I don't dislike graphic (laughs) novels but I often don't understand the love for them because I often feel like I am not following the story as much as I think 
the art is intending for me to Mm -hmm. follow the story. And this one, I didn't have that problem at all. And it was just delightful. So it's also the, the premise of it is also going to indicate why I loved it so much because it's set on Halloween in a pumpkin patch. Oh, that sounds so much fun to me. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like it was written for you. Right. I love it. Um, and so it's in Omaha and, and so there's kind of this, this great Midwestern feel to it, which I, I enjoy. Uh, it's about two friends named Deja and Josiah and they are pumpkin patch friends, which means that they don't see each other all year. And then they're best friends during the two months that they're working in the pumpkin patch. So September 1st to, uh, October 31st. And this is their senior year. So it's their last year that they'll be doing this and they don't know what's going to happen at this point. And so Josiah is, um, pretty depressed about this because he's he just feels things in a different way than Deja does. He's very upstanding and he's constantly employee of the month and he's already thinking ahead of how awful this is going to be that he won't get to see her again. And he has this crush on the on a girl that he's never talked to in the pumpkin patch and so between all these things he's just kind of uh down, I guess. And then there's Deja, who is totally spontaneous and fun-loving, and she doesn't really have a great sense of responsibility. (laughs) And so she's not going to let Josiah mope, and she decides that their last shift is going to be an adventure, and they're going to have Josiah talk to this girl, and um, everything's going to be awesome. And so the the book is told over the course of this one night, and they are going to get to do all the things that the pumpkin patch offers, but can't do because they're working normally, um, while they try to track down Josiah's crush and while they're doing that they have to avoid Deja's ex-girlfriend and not get caught while they're ditching their shift so it's full of everything that makes fall awesome because it has pumpkins and seasonal food and it's about a festival and there's just something about Halloween that's that's I mean not I'm, I'm saying this as though it's like a surprise but Halloween is all about hijinks. It's that's the purpose of Halloween is is this trick or treat thing. And so that just really comes out in this book and it's told in a really charming way and it has gorgeous illustrations by Faith Aaron Hicks and it just feels like you're there and and you can feel that crisp air as you read this and it's just so adorable and funny and it has that perfect Rainbow Rowley feeling but it's in a new format which it was just fabulous and that is Pumpkinheads by Rainbow Rowell and Faith Aaron Hicks. That sounds delightful. Yeah, you have to read it. Yep. Mine next one is The Bookish Life of Nina Hill by Abby Yay. Waxman. I was, was also one of your favorites, I think. Yes. Yes. So as I was reading this, and, and you and I have already discussed this, but I really felt like Abby Waxman was maybe spying on me a little bit because there were so many aspects of Nina Hill. <laughs> excuse me. So many aspects of Nina Hill that felt like they were taken directly from my life. So Nina is very happy with her quiet life. She works in a bookstore. She loves it. She plays pub trivia competitively with a small, tight-knit group of friends. And she loves like organ like um stationery and planners and pens and organizational mm-hmm. things and she's just very happy with her sort of quiet structured life and one day her life is thrown into total upheaval when she receives notification that um the father who she never knew has left her a bequest in his will she soon discovers that she has this huge family that she never knew she had because her father was married multiple times and he has kids of all different ages so it's one of those situations where an aunt ends up being younger than a niece because of the ages of the people he was married to. And so it's they're sort of this raucous group of people who are, some are more reluctant to accept Dina Hill than others, but 
they all, she's suddenly just part of their world, even though she doesn't really want to be. She doesn't want anything to do with them. But at, as she gets to know them, particularly there's one person in the family who reaches out to her. And as she gets to know them, she realizes that there are some benefits to having people around you to support you and love you no matter what. And it becomes slightly more appealing as the storyline goes on uh, that that there are these people out there that she might she might have in her life. And at the same time that all that is going on, she is also noticing this very handsome and intriguing man who is on a competitor's trivia team who intrigues her and kind of bugs her at the same time. And she can't (laughs) stop thinking about him, but she doesn't want to like him. And and they have this so adorable kind of awkward interactions at first and and he doesn't read really and she that's blasphemy to her and I just found this to be so charming it is smart it is chiclet that isn't too fluffy it is not saccharine in any way like it's got kind of a snarky sense of humor Nina is not is kind of a little bit prickly like she's not she's not always the most lovable person. And I I just adored this. This is The Bookish Life of Nina Hill by Abby Waxman. Yeah, that was, uh, it was so, so appealing. Like her life was just so appealing. (laughs) She lives in this adorable neighborhood. She lives, she works in an adorable bookstore. And a lot of books about bookish people are about how antisocial they are and how awkward they are. And that's what I expected Mm -hmm. going into it from kind of the description. But then she does have a group of friends Mm -hmm. and she's she her boss really loves her Mm -hmm. and she is personable but Mm -hmm. she's just not she's more she's just an introvert and i i found that very 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 refreshing Mm -hmm. to read um instead of the bookish people can't yeah survive in the real world they just want to be in their books right uh, trope that i get really really sick of so yes yeah abby waxman i feel like really does these kinds of books well she just she takes these a premise that you feel like maybe you've read before and and again they're they're smart they're unexpected in a way so yeah yeah. good pick thank you my next book is confederates in the attic dispatches from an unfinished civil war by tony horowitz and i will say up front that this was a really good nonfiction year for me i read some nonfiction, but i read much more this year uh, than I normally do, and much more rose to the top this year than I normally ever have had. So uh, this is the first of many on my list, which is probably a surprise uh, to anyone else <laughs> listening to this uh, that knows my reading taste. Um, so this is what I've been meeting been been meaning to read for years, but I prioritized it after the author's surprising death. And actually, just on a weird personal note, I saw him the week before he died at Parnassus, where he was doing a an event uh, with his wife, Geraldine Brooks, to promote his new book. And then the news came out that he had died. And I, my first thought was, but I just saw him. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, completely ridiculous because I don't know him, but it just was, it was so surprising to see that kind of come through my newsfeed. So um, it's definitely a loss to the um, nonfiction world that he is gone. But he, he was a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who had had this 
lifelong fascination with the Civil War. And then he met some hardcore reenactors who inspire him to travel across the South and to learn why the Civil War and the Confederacy still have such a strong hold on Southerners. So he goes to all the significant locations and battlefields like Shiloh and Atlanta and Vicksburg, and he finds varying degrees of devotion to the Southern cause. But no matter what, everyone has an opinion on it. So he becomes particularly close to a reenactor named Robert Lee Hodge, who he sees most reenactors as soft. <laughs> and so he tries to really, truly live the life of a Confederate soldier, which means very little bathing. And he does a lot of spooning with other reenactors so they can literally not freeze to death. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> which is intense. Um, and if you've seen this book, he's actually on the cover. So I always had thought that was a historical photo because it looks so perfectly old-timey but that's just this dude so that's crazy um, I thought it was I know some right Confederate, yeah it's it's insane so um so the book covers some really terrifying moments like uh KKK rallies and there are a lot of aggressive and hostile people that he meet that Tony Horwitz meets in bars who aren't happy that this he's not really a, a northerner he's from Virginia but they're they're they see him as a, an outsider and they don't like that he's asking questions um so there's some very tense moments but it's also a really funny book like laugh out loud funny and so probably the thing that's that stands out to me the most though is that I I forgot the entire time that I was reading it that this book is 20 years old it came out in the late 90s and um everything that's covered in it is still a current issue that we've been debating very recently like confederate statues and flags uh confederate flags flown over state capitals and it was like I've never quite had that disconnect between reality and uh, what I've been reading before, where I, I legitimately forget that this isn't uh, written this year book, um, which is actually really heartbreaking because it means nothing has changed <laughs> in all of that time. So I, I just loved this. The The Lost Cause of the Confederacy is one of my absolute favorite topics that, since I've moved to the South, it just fascinates me to no end. Um, and this book is essential reading if that is a topic that you're also interested in. And so that is Confederates in the Attic by Tony Horowitz. I had no idea that Geraldine Brooks uh, was married to Tony Horitz. Are you serious? Seriously. And I've seen her oh. speak. Yeah. yeah, yeah they, were, they were both uh, really interesting. It was also, also fun because um, Ann Patchett was moderating it. And she said, she led it by saying something like, they they live in this house where they have two children, two lovely children and two lovely dogs and two lovely Pulitzer Prizes. I love Ann Patchett so much. Yeah, it was great. Also, another side note is when I told my mom I got my job at Beaufort County, Mm -hmm. I called her all excited, and she had just read this book, and literally the first thing she said to me was, Ann, you can't move to the Confederacy. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, My next one is The Gown by Jennifer Robson, and it is one of those historical fiction books that has two timelines. I feel like this is becoming kind of just the standard now where there's a present day storyline where somebody discovers something and has to figure out somebody from the past what they were doing kind of situation so there's kind of that that time slip um, yeah right sub sub genre that's that's like that but not it's not always a time slip book when they use that Mm -hmm. that writing style right but, but yeah it's super popular very popular so this was very well done i thought and and really spends much more time on the historical timeline than the present day which I prefer because usually I'm more invested in the historical one than the 
the modern day. But yeah. the, in this one, it is uh, 2016, and a woman named Heather is mourning the loss of her grandmother when she discovers this beautiful piece of embroidery among her belongings. And it sort of causes her to, to think for a second because she knew her grandmother was a knitter and did other sort of crafty things, but has no recollection of her ever doing any sort of embroidery. So she she is intrigued and decides she wants to try to track down where this piece of embroidery came from, what its meaning might be, why it was one of the prized possessions that her grandmother clearly had based on where she found it. So then in 1947, there's a woman named Anne Hughes who is an embroiderer at an exclusive clothing designer in London. And it's a little bit after the war, after World War II, and everyone is living kind of in a state of deprivation and there's there's not a lot to be had. It, rationing is happening and, and there's just not nobody's living in the lap of luxury really and everybody's also trying to heal after a very devastating war so princess elizabeth announces her engagement and the wedding seems to be like a bright spot in this somewhat dreary world and the design house where anne works is selected to create her wedding dress princess elizabeth's wedding dress and there's a new woman who has just joined the design house uh, who is also an embroiderer and she comes from france and anne and this woman are both both sort of team up to do a section of all these flowers on the train of the gown and it's hard work but this team of women create just this stunning beautiful dress and all of this by the way the, about the dress and about this design house that's all true that's actually where Princess Elizabeth's dress was created. The, the, the characters in the book are not real, but the, the facts surrounding it are all, are all true. These two women end up living together and becoming friends, and they have a little bit of a romance. Um, not, not, the, not the two of them. <laughs> Each of them find romance with a man. Um, sorry, I don't want to mislead anybody about, about the, the, love, the love affair. And there are all these interesting details about embroidery. And also one thing I thought was interesting was the details about living in London after World War II, which I feel like we get a lot of historical fiction that takes place in World War II, but not that much yes. that takes place afterwards. So I thought that was interesting. <laughs> um, and I really just loved the portrayal of the friendships between the women and how they supported each other and how they were there for each other and did all this hard work together and became really a team and um, created this, this beautiful dress. So it is called The Gown by Jennifer Robson. I want to. I have that on my list too, because um, I I agree that that the war is obviously signi insanely significant. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm very interested in the post life mm -hmm. that that people had to deal with. That sounds great, especially if you're a fan of the Crown. Well, yes. That so I like you have to read exactly. It. So I am a bit of a royal. I actually I'm behind on the Crown, but I love Me too. I love royal gossip kind of stuff. You know what's going mm -hmm. on with. Kate and William and um, Harry and Meghan and everything. And I do have to say, there isn't that much about the royals in this book that's very tangential to the main storyline. But there are little sneak peeks. And, and there is one scene where Princess Elizabeth comes with her mom to see the dress. And again, all of that is true based on the author's note at the end. So you just get little peeks into that world 
which is fun which is it's just fun if you're like you said if you're a watcher of the crown or interested in in the british royals at all yeah well especially because the show focuses so much on what you don't see Mm -hmm. in from the the public facing version of of the monarchy and so seeing even like a step below that of what people were doing to support that industry mm-hmm. is is uh i i think would be extra fascinating yeah. um okay up next is the lost man by jane harper did you read this for the the reading list i did i i really liked it it's a, a standalone by um the author of the Aaron Falk series. And I liked this one even better than, than that series. And I really like that series, but I think this one was, was uh, just um, really tight and, and really intriguing. So it's set at Christmas time in the Australian outback, which is blazing hot because it's on the other side of the world. And I almost talked about this during our Christmas episode, just to kind of change things up a little bit. Um, But then I decided it wasn't enough about the Christmas specific stuff to, to really warrant that but I thought it might be f- kind of fun because we do have uh, uh, actual a significant listenership in Australia so hooray um, so there's a man named Cameron Bright who is the head of a cow ranching family business and he is found dead um, with there's nothing around in this area besides this 19th century grave that sort of serves as a local landmark because they're the landscape is just so vast in this area um so if you can kind of picture like the american west where there's just nothing for miles and miles and miles then then that's kind of what you're you're dealing with so he died of exposure and this is weird because the truck um that he took away from the family uh, farm is found fairly close to him and it's found fairly it's found fully stocked with emergency supplies and there aren't any issues with it and in this environment survival is your truck because you're out dealing with the property for hours or even days in this really harsh environment and so that's your lifeline so the idea that he would voluntarily leave this is just uh, unheard of to the people that are left behind so um, his older brother Nathan is visiting the family for Christmas and he sees that there's just this total shock from the family and the town about Cameron's death because Cameron was well respected and and he was popular and a husband and a father so when you when you hear the phrase pillar of of, communi- of the community that's really who Cameron Bright was but Nathan on the other hand is this pariah and we don't know why at the beginning why that is the case but slowly you find out what happened but so he hasn't been home in years and he can't go into town um, because of what has happened in the past so the rest of the family um, he has a younger brother and his uh, and Cameron's uh, wife his his widow and her children and then his mother um, they're all dealing with the death as best as they can but the tension is really high between all of them as they're facing a very uncertain future without Cameron um, and so as they're gathering for the funeral and for for the christmas festivities that uh, were planned they begin to see that there are questions and secrets about what was happening while nathan had been away that are starting to come to the surface so uh, one of the things that jane harper does really impeccably is to use the environment as a character um but i think that so so that standard is still kept in this book but i think the characters are better than the aaron falk series 
because this isn't a traditional detective, I think that there's more room for past history to be aired, and there are long established long established relationships that are uh, needing to be explored in ways that you just kind of don't get with a character who's an actual detective. So after I read this, I was sort of reading through the Goodreads reviews, and there was one that talked about how this has many similarities in theme to The Witch Elm, and um, it's very much about perceptions and expectations of masculinity and examining the ways that those are um, destructive to the people around you and to men themselves, and I totally agree with that uh, review. It's, it's just it kind of starts out seeming like it's going to be one thing um, in the book, and then it, it really isn't. And I, I loved that. So if you uh, liked the themes behind The Witch Elm, but maybe thought it was not the fastest paced book you've ever read, this might be a good real like yes. for you. So uh, that is The Lost Man by Jane Harper. Yeah, I totally agree with that. This felt similar, but better to me than The Witch Elm. <laughs> Them's fighting words. I know, Allie. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's I, I, okay. I love Tana French. And actually, I find Jane Harper to be very similar to Tana French, not in a derivative way, but if you like Tana right. French, I feel like you'll like Jane Harper also. Totally. Um, so much atmosphere, such a strong sense of place and great characterizations and things, but yeah. I, and, and a darkness and to a darkness, it. Yeah. But I, I really... did like this better than The Witch Elm, I have to say. <laughs> he will never speak of it I know, again. I'm sorry. All right, so my next one, moving on, is Recursion <laughs> by Blake Crouch. And this book, I think, would be a great pick for lots of different kinds of readers. So we are recording this about a week before Christmas. It's going up the Friday before Christmas. If you have any last minute shopping to be doing, I think that this is a great gift book because it combines a lot of different elements that people like, <laughs> simply put. Uh, it is very fast paced. It's very plot driven, but has good characters. There is a lot of brain twisting science fiction kind of stuff but it doesn't feel too sci-fi feels very cinematic to me i feel like i just can see all the blake crouch books i've read i can see as as movies completely so i don't think i can do this book justice at all by trying to describe it so <laughs> i will but i don't want to just say nothing so i'll i'll try to give a little snippet of information but this is kind of one of those books that's like just trust me because if i describing it it's it's kind of convoluted it's any book that deals with any type of time travel just gets really difficult to to describe very quickly yeah. so here's what i'll say about it there is a scientist whose mother has Alzheimer's and she, the scientist is doing research because her goal is she wants to create a device that helps Alzheimer's patients preserve their memories, which is a very noble goal as you, you know, I mean, Alzheimer's is a terrible, awful disease. Anything that could help people either retain their memories longer or, or keep their memories after the, the, the disease starts to take their memories, you know, whatever it is, it's a very noble goal. However, um, things go a bit haywire. And years later, suddenly people are committing suicide because they're suffering from something called false memory syndrome, where... They're living their lives, and then suddenly a complete set of memories appears right alongside their existing memories. So it's like you have had led two lives. Like you, you suddenly know this whole set of, of you're married to one person, you have children with one person, but all of a sudden one day you wake up and there's a separate 
relationship that you've a long-standing relationship so it, it's basically driving people crazy it's making them it's making them sad and they're committing suicide so there is an investigator who starts trying to figure out what is going on what is causing this phenomenon and then it all of course ties back to the alzheimer's research that was going on years ago as i said <laughs> it's a little confusing to try to explain it but it's super fast paced it's such a ride like it just takes you on a ride it's a book you don't want to put down because you want to find out what happens next there's also a wonderful love story which of course i enjoy uh it's just great it's great for like i said all different kinds of readers and it is recursion by blake crouch oh it sounds really fun i i liked dark matter and i think it was a really good crossover book for people who aren't huge sci-fi fans Mm -hmm. but it it didn't it didn't I didn't love it enough to have me say oh I definitely want to read everything that he's written so um that's a great recommendation yeah I recommended this to a friend of mine and he read it and I had given him dark matter a little while ago or recommended dark matter to him a while ago and he read this and he said he actually liked this better than dark matter I do think it's cool I think the mind twistiness of recursion was a little bit more in depth than than dark matter dark matter to me was a little bit easier to follow at times not not that this was difficult to follow sometimes with anything time travel or and this isn't really time travel so i but that's the only thing that's those are the only words that i can say that sort of represent what it is yeah um if i start thinking about it too hard it just bends my brain into a pretzel like i can't i can't yeah. make sense of it anymore so that's what i mean about being confusing yeah it's just that aspect of it yeah but it's great it's fun it's super fun yeah, i find if i don't <laughs> if i ever can't understand the science or how something works i just keep reading that part over and over because i'm convinced i will understand it if i read it like 50 times <laughs> but i can't i don't yeah. know science i don't know it well enough to to make it work so i just have to accept it and realize that that's not the the point yeah for the plot right. so um okay my next book is the woman's hour the great fight to win the vote by elaine i think it's weiss it might be vice i'm not sure i should have looked that up but um i loved this so much it's basically just the history of women receiving the right to vote um but specifically the ratification of the 19th amendment which um, if you've been living under a rock i will let you know the 100 year anniversary is next year in in 2020 so um so it was really nice to read this and and sort of get psyched up for that so But most people probably don't know, and I certainly didn't, that this came down to one vote after decades of effort in the Tennessee state capitol here in Nashville. So that is a massive deal here. Um, And I had never heard any of that history. So I just knew it was a struggle for decades, but I didn't know that it had this, um, like, shockingly cinematic ending. And not just in a way that's like... Hollywood has taken it and made it seem more cinematic and the history isn't actually that cinematic. It is that cinematic. It's insane. So there's this memorial in Nashville and I thought it was kind of random until I read this book and really understood why it is such a big deal here. So um, it focuses on the major figures of the campaign like Carrie Chapman Cat and Alice Paul, um, but it also focuses on the anti-suffrage movement. So that is really fascinating to read how many arguments are still used today to to deny women equal rights, um, including by other women. So not much has changed in the past hundred years in that sense. So I don't want to spoil history if you don't know how how this ended up going um but 
basically everything hinges on one telegram and it's it's just unbelievable so i listened to that part of the book while i was driving and i was sobbing like i think i had to pull over because i was crying so much because it was just so intense and to see just like a century of women trying to make this change and to and just have it come down to this I, it, I just I got chills and I love when nonfiction does that because if you already know the ending then you shouldn't in theory be that moved and so I love I love that it can do that to me so I've given it to many people as a gift um, some of those people don't know it yet because it's the <laughs> Christmas gift but it is uh, just perfect for anyone who loves history and um, maybe loves current events even it would be a great a great book to to give and really, uh, you have to read it this year because this anniversary is coming up and it's monumental. So that is The Woman's Hour by Elaine Weiss oh, or Weiss, amazing. one or the other. My next one <laughs> is Stray City by Chelsea Johnson. And this one was one of my biggest surprises of the year because I had not ever heard of this book. And it was one of the nominations for the reading list last year. And it ended up winning in what we now call the relationship fiction category. At the time, it was called Women's Lives and Relationships. It was such it was just such a surprise. And I love books like that, that you know nothing about, you've never heard of. And then you read them and think that they're amazing. And actually, as I am thinking about this book, I hadn't put this together before I made my list of 10. It has a lot of similarities, similarities to The Great Believers. The main character, oh. it was not as... It's not as sad as or heartbreaking as The Great Believers is, but as I describe it, you'll I think you'll be able to understand why I'm saying they're similar. So it's about a woman named Andrea Morales who is from this conservative Midwestern town and a conservative family, and she leaves for college. And when she is there, she determines some things about herself and decides. And, and comes out to her family as a lesbian. And when her parents learn this, they cut her off financially and emotionally. She ends up becoming a part of a wonderful group of friends who are all lesbians and they're very supportive of each other. And again, like the great believers, they, they form this found family, this chosen family. And so she, she has the support that she feels like she needs. And then she has this devastating breakup and ends up, with he's kind of like an acquaintance like he's a friend but not a close friend and she finds herself taking solace in his presence and ends up sleeping with him uh, very kind of casually like it's not really a relationship but she's pretty embarrassed about it because she doesn't want to share that she's sleeping with a man to her friends who know her as somebody who's only ever had relationships with women so she's she's keeping it a secret. She doesn't really see anything long term with this guy, but she's kind of having fun. It's he's making her feel better after this horrible breakup that she had. And then she winds up pregnant. And so <laughs> the story then follows what happens after that and and where her life goes uh, when she has this decision to make about how to conduct her life now that she's pregnant. So I found it just really an engaging story it was a very vivid portrayal of portland in the 90s it has all these likable characters i felt really invested in andy's story and and what happened to her what happens to her child i just i thought it was fabulous and again i was very under the radar for me i did not i had not heard any 
buzz about it at all. And so I, I'm trying to no, tell as many people as possible about it because I thought it was fabulous. It's called Stray City by Chelsea Johnson. Yeah, it's fa- that's so fascinating when there's a book that, that just doesn't get buzz. I know, I know. That's weird. I want to read that and listen to The Dream of the 90s is Live in Portland <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> Put that in the background. Perfect. I don't know if I could concentrate, but it sounds fun. It would be fun. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, up next is Notes from a Young Black Chef by Kwame Anuachi and Joseph, uh, Joshua David Stein. And I talked about this, I think, on our our first episode back where we talked about books that have stood out to us in the past year a uh, couple of years so um, i read this earlier this spring and it recounts the chef's path from growing up poor in the bronx to the highest levels of the food world with stops in nigeria to live with his father's family as a teenager and then on to gang membership and drug dealing in college in the united states and a catering company run from a dorm room um he goes on to an oil rig in the gulf of mexico and then he, f- he finally ends up in the best restaurants in the world and a um, spot as a contestant on top chef and so eventually he uh is placed in charge of a restaurant called the shaw bijou in washington dc um that hasn't opened yet but he's he's opening it and it's very high profile and shockingly expensive and it has Anuachi's personal history as the blueprint for the menu and um, it has all this buzz and then it's a colossal failure and it closes after uh, I think three months so this book is written immediately after this happened without a next step at the end of the book which is really unusual for a memoir because they're usually about overcoming things and success and and stuff like that but this uh, kind of rejects the traditional redemption arc and I really love that about it so it doesn't have his follow-up success even though he he has moved on to a, a new restaurant that is uh, is successful and it makes the reader address really interesting questions about who is allowed to participate in the culinary world and who is kept out and who is allowed to be confident in their talent and who must pay their dues and whose food is fine dining and whose is home cooking which i i just can listen to stories about that all the time so um i think that this will become a standard part of the food writing canon and it's a perspective that's usually left out and i i really found it valuable and that is notes from a young black chef by kwame anuachi and uh, joshua david stein still want to read it still have it do it <laughs> give me about two years and i'll be able to read yeah we just need those publishers to quit for a couple of years <laughs> uh, all right my next one is when you read this by mary adkins and I always need to include at least one book that makes me cry, and this is going to be the (laughs) second one because The Great Believers made me cry too, but this one made me kind of sob. This is about a woman who has a terminal illness, and she keeps a blog during her final months. And after her death, her boss's assistant spills coffee on a post-it note that implies that Iris, the woman who was terminally ill, would like her blog to be turned into a book. So her boss reaches out to her sister, his, the, Iris's sister and her boss somehow have, have been introduced to each other. Either Iris had, or Iris's sister had to get her things from the office or the boss reaches out to her. I can't quite remember. But regardless, they start communicating and her boss is kind of pushing for Iris's blog to be turned into a book, thinking that this, this is her dying wish. We need to make this happen. And her sister's a little bit more reluctant. They strike up this this relationship, kind of, but it's all because they knew and loved this person who passed away. And so the story moves back and forth between the blog posts 
and then what's happening between the boss and then Jade, who's the sister, and then the boss's assistant, Carl. And there's a lot of humor injected into it, even though it's obviously a sad story about somebody who's passed passed away and then the people she has left behind grieving her loss. And Carl, <laughs> the assistant, is like the prototypical millennial. And so <laughs> he... He, he adds so much humor to the story that it's a really nice balance between the heartache and then the humor. It just lifts it up enough that you don't feel like it's maudlin at all. So it's bittersweet, obviously, but it's not just a marathon of misery the whole time. And and you're you're watching these two people who have lost somebody who's very important to them move through the stages of grief, basically, and finding comfort somehow with each other, even though they don't really expect to. And it's it's just a lovely, lovely story. Again, I say this if, all the time, but if you listen to the podcast, you know I love anything that's really character-driven. This is purely character-driven, and it's a fairly short book. It's not it's not a huge time commitment, but, but, but it packs a big emotional punch. So that is When You Read This by Mary Adkins. That sounds really good. I haven't heard of it. Oh, really? One. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why. Or maybe I will, will if I see the yeah, cover. But it's red. The title doesn't sound. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, my next book is The Chestnut Man oh, by Sveistrup uh, Podansk. Um, and this is a big surprise for me because I don't usually gravitate toward this kind of book. But I listened to this for a professional commitment and I really loved it. And um, I'm normally not into serial killer anything, but it's just really great. So it's written by the creator of the Danish show, The Killing, which uh, came out first and then it was remade in the US. So um, I know lots of people are fans of that, but this, this book has a lot of similarities to that show but I didn't care because this was so satisfying. So it's kind of hard to explain because there are a lot of different perspectives in it. But basically Copenhagen, which is usually very peaceful, is being terrorized by someone who murders women and removes either, I think it starts out as a hand and then it is a hand and a foot and then both hands and one foot and it, so it's progressing. Um, and he or she always leaves a doll made with two chestnuts and matchsticks to form this chestnut man and so this would already be creepy enough but then when it's tested the doll has the fingerprints of the daughter of a government of a government minister named rosa hartung who uh has a 12 had a 12 year old daughter who was kidnapped and murdered a year before and so it doesn't make any sense for the fingerprints to be there so there are two investigators named naya tulin and mark hess and they don't get along but they have to work together as more bodies are discovered all with a chestnut man um, found nearby and all with Rosa Hartung's daughter's fingerprints on them. So in many ways, there's this is very stereotypical mystery stuff. So there's there are these gruff, um, burnt out detectives and a seemingly impossible crime, but it's put together in such a great way and, and it's just done really well. And the way it comes together is it's just... <sighs> It's just so great <laughs> the way the way everything, all these different pieces that don't seem at all related eventually come together. And I didn't see the solution to this coming at all, which I, I'm not the greatest at predicting everything with a mystery, but I usually feel like I have a, because I read so many mysteries, I feel like I have a fairly good track record of at least getting why things are happening or, or 
or some piece of it, but everything about this I, I didn't see coming. So um, I will give a warning that it is very, very, very mm-hmm. gritty. There are lots of things um, that are pretty upsetting, and I don't usually enjoy this or even I'm usually able to handle that, but I didn't think that this was done in an overly graphic way. Um, it's just not shying away from those details. So a lot of times things that are pretty grisly are maybe told after the fact and uh, you will see them oh. in this book, um, but it's not done gratuitously yeah. either. So um, I don't know if anyone else has, has uh, watched The Five on Netflix. It's um, a, a show I really loved and it's either produced or I think it might be based on a, a story written by Har- uh, Harlan Coben oh. and then he produced it. I, he didn't write the script, but I think it's his original story and um it's really good and this is a very similar book to that story because it focuses on evidence of a person who shouldn't be at a crime scene Hmm. um leaving behind evidence so Hmm. um it's it's just so fascinating and i will also say give a a shout out to the audiobook because the danish pronunciations are shockingly good (laughs) um which never happens um and i was very impressed and so that is the chestnut man by soren svistrup yes i read this i did not listen sorry oh that's okay sorry i said it wrong (laughs) (laughs) i read this i did not listen to the audiobook i really debated whether i wanted to put this on my top 10 or not and i'm so glad you did because it for all of the reasons you listed, I thought it was fabulous. And it was a bit difficult to read at times, but it was so, so compelling. Like, it just yeah. kept me reading, wanting to find out. I thought it was a complete surprise at the end Yeah, who the ultimate perpetrator of the crimes is. So, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that one. Awesome. So my next one is one I have already talked about, and so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. It is called City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. This was one when we first came back and we talked about, I think, what did we do? The favorites of like the last few years or something? Yeah. Right. So this was one of my favorites. I read it in the spring, and so I talked about it already. It's about a woman named Vivian who gets kicked out of Vassar and is sent to live with her aunt who runs kind of a ragtag theater in New York City that they do... Um, musical reviews kind of thing and it's all about this woman Vivian's unconventional life it's she is recounting the story when she is in her 80s you're not sure exactly who she is telling her story to at first it all comes together in the end and uh, it's a total romp it's just a, a total romp it's very frank about Vivian's sexual exploits at the time um, and just her it embraces sort of female freedoms and living an independent life that you create of your own however whatever form that takes and Vivian as a main character felt very fully realized to me she's frustrating at times and kind of went a shaker for certain decisions she makes but I at least never wanted to stop reading about her, which I think is a sign of a great book. Um, wanted to keep keep finding out what happened to her next. So that is City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah, I, I thought that one was really fun. I didn't love it as much as you do, mm-hmm. but I, I thought it was really fun, mm-hmm. um, especially the parts in the theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I loved the most. Yeah, and it has the greatest cover, as, as far yeah. as I'm concerned, yeah. of, of the year. So. <laughs> 
Um, Okay, my next book is How We Fight for Our Lives by Saeed Jones. And I talked about this in our fall preview episode. And so I've been glad to see it getting the attention that I so very correctly predicted that it would get. Um, It's a short memoir. And um, the author grew up in Texas. And he knew early on that he was gay and that as a gay black man, he was seen as a danger to the community on two different fronts. So he goes to college in Kentucky and he begins to use his body as a weapon because he feels like if he's going to be rejected both as a gay man and as a black man he will use those very identities to take down the man who, the men who target him um who are very often closeted gay men so he has a lot of degrading casual sex with them and that's very very frank about those encounters so so if that's something that you're sensitive to then be aware of that and unsurprisingly he doesn't find happiness or fulfillment that way but he does when he turns back to writing and to his mother who uh, raised him alone and that he, he finds who he truly is uh, through those means and there, it's really the section about his mother that I find particularly moving and that's what has kept me thinking about this for months since I read it and um, the author is a poet first that's what he he was doing before he wrote this memoir and the way he constructs this book is so different than anything I've ever read there's this last line um, about mothers and I, I won't read it because it's I don't think it would make sense in um out of context, but or, or be as, as moving, I guess. But I actually wrote it down, which I never really do when I read. But it, it just, it was so beautiful. And uh, I think I've mentioned here, the last couple of years have been difficult with my mom's health. And I've had to reevaluate a lot of how I perceived my assumptions as a daughter of what it, you know, you, you expect your, your parents to be the same for your entire life. And, and that is not the case in my life anymore. And so it, it really hit me in ways that I don't know that it would have if I had read it even three years ago Mm. um and this book really addresses those those changes in in our our shared histories with our parents and so it destroyed me but in the best way possible and it's just beautiful and that is how we fight for our lives by saeed jones that sounds amazing that's really good my next one is get a life chloe brown by talia hibbert and this was a late stage entry i just read this a week ago (laughs) i knew i was gonna love it ahead of time and I was so relieved when I actually did love it because sometimes when you have such high expectations then you're let down and I just from everything I'd heard about it it's like this book feels like I'm just gonna love it so much so I was so glad that I actually did yeah I think I talked about this in my fall book preview so I'm not gonna go into a whole ton of detail but it is about a woman who has fibromyalgia and she deals with chronic pain and she's exhausted all the time. And so she manages her life in very specific ways to make sure that she is able to cope in the best way that she can. So one day she is on her daily walk, which she has to do because that's just part of her routine. And she almost gets hit by a car. And she decides in this brief moment when she almost gets hit by a car, she realizes that her life has become very, very small because of her health issues. And so she makes a list of things that she wants to do to shake up her life a bit. And it's her get a life list. And there is a man who is the superintendent of her building who they don't really like each other. They have kind of an antagonistic relationship. But through different circumstances, he ends up helping her on this list. He has a, one of her things is to ride a motorcycle and he has one. And so (laughs) it's, uh, that opens the door to them 
interacting and him helping her and then he decides to help her with other things and so so you have a sense of where that the path of that relationship is going but it's interesting because the the male protagonist was in a relationship with a woman beforehand that has made him very wary of Chloe because he was with this woman who was from a very well-to-do family and so is Chloe and was very very demanding and very mean to him quite honestly she was um, verbally abusive towards him and so they're both healing and they're both learning to open themselves up to each other and or to other people because she has really closed off her life because she's been managing her pain she's been managing her chronic illness and she doesn't always believe that there can be somebody who is there for her because she had a group of friends she had a fiance I think it was her fiance it was definitely a boyfriend I think it was a fiance who all said that they would be supportive of her when her health issues developed, but then ended up disappearing. They couldn't handle it. They didn't know how to help, or if she pushed them away, they just left and, and never came back. So, so they're both just sort of learning how to trust each other. It's really romantic, but it's also really funny. It has a, a lot of heart. You just, you care about the characters. And Talia Hibbert from what I understand has a chronic illness and so the way she describes aspects of it just felt very true to life about about different emotions that that Chloe Brown has different ways she she conducts herself different ways like what she gets annoyed like her she has two sisters that clearly care about her so, so much and sometimes they annoy her because they're caring about her and it's just <laughs> I don't know it just felt very very true to life um but it's also fun it's, it's a sweet romance so it's get a life chloe brown by talia hibbert so glad that was a late i know a late winner that's really fun okay my last book is once upon a river by diane setterfield and this is cheating a bit because i haven't actually finished this what but <laughs> i thought i would have more time before we recorded i was just telling hallie before we started all the ways i've overextended myself <laughs> As per usual, <laughs> so, um, but it's it's Diane Setterfield, so yeah, this is a good book. I've read. This. I know I'm gonna. Yeah. It's gonna be a favorite. Yeah. I, I'm already far enough in it that I know I love it, and so unless she totally, like, throws apart everything in the end, I I don't see how I wouldn't love this, and uh, I've loved everything she's done. Um, so I I just can't imagine that this will be ruined. So. Um, this is her first book since she wrote Bellman in Black, um, I think in 2013, I want to say, maybe 2012. So it's been a while, um, and she's only written three books. So this keeps her signature other otherworldly tone, and it has this gothic sensibility, which I don't know if you know me at all. <laughs> <laughs> These are the things I love. Um, it's set in the 19th century at an inn on the Thames, um, kind of, I think, near Oxford, and it at this inn, there are local villagers who are trading stories around the fire one night. And that's kind of the theme of this book are these, as you can tell from the title, this this storytelling tradition. And so, um, so they're all gathered around, but then a horribly wounded man bursts into the inn holding a doll, and then he collapses on the ground, and everyone tries to revive him. And in the chaos, no one realizes that the doll... Uh, they eventually do but at first they don't realize that the doll is actually a little girl and that she has died and so they put her in a cold room in the inn until the body can be prepared for for burial and the local midwife comes to examine her and she uh, is looking for a cause of death and suddenly the girl's eyes open and it's super creepy 
And so word gets out that just this really bizarre thing has happened. And so three families each uh, get word of this and they believe that she may belong to them. So uh, the first group is a a family of farmers who think she may be the illegitimate daughter of their um, kind of prodigal son. And then there's a wealthy young mother whose daughter has been kidnapped and a Parsons housekeeper who thinks she might be somehow connected to her younger sister. So um, obviously she can't belong to all of them. So who is she? Um, And as you can tell from the, the title, there are lots of nods to fairy tales and uh, Diane Setterfield's language is just so gorgeous, and she weaves this really thick atmosphere from the very first sentence. I, when I sat down to read this, I, I opened it up and read the first sentence, and I just I just kind of smiled and sort of settled in uh, a little bit closer into my my chair because it's, it's she, you're just you're in such good hands when you read one of her books, and so I can't find I can't wait to find out the ending, um, but I couldn't leave this off of my list, and that is Once Upon a River by Diane Setterfield. Yeah, you'll be happy to know it does not fall apart at the end. (laughs) Woohoo! So my last one is The Silent Companions by Laura Purcell. And have you read this? No, but you told me to read it. And I have it, but I haven't read it yet. (laughs) Okay, so I had to include because of my newfound love of horror novels love my, <laughs> oh, love my words music. i never thought would be spoken i don't know oh it's not, that's, that's maybe overstating it my appreciation <laughs> of horror novels this one was sort of what made me think oh i like some horror so i felt like i just had to include it it is so creepy so creepy but not gory at all which is right in my wheelhouse so it and it's really it's not very long, but oh my goodness, it really packs a lot in there. So it's about a woman named Elsie who was just recently married and became pregnant and her husband dies. And so she goes off to live in his crumbling old estate, which is just full of distrustful servants who hate her basically and then all of these super creepy dolls wooden life-sized dolls how did we both have doll books to finish like creepy doll books i don't know that's really weird i that was unplanned but so there and it's one of those things where she'll like get rid of one thinking it's doing something like it's you know following with her with their eyes that and then she'll get rid of it and then it will reappear somewhere and the whole thing is you wonder as the reader is she going crazy are the servants messing with her is there is a house haunted like what is happening here so it is it is so atmospheric it is extra extra creepy because the dolls are real um things that exist in the world. <laughs> you can Google it. And I can't remember what they're called. I, I should have I looked it up. I'm sorry. We can put it in the show notes. But it, it, if, you look in, if you look them up as you're reading, it makes the book even weirder because then you can picture them in your head. Um, but it was, it was, again, I liked it so much because it's not like it gave me nightmares or anything. It was just this sort of like feeling I had while I was reading the book that was suspenseful and unsettling and stuff but yet it's like i i finally got why people like horror novels honestly from reading this book because there's people will describe it as like a delicious kind of tension or this unease this feeling that just just 
intensifies as the book goes on. And I was always like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I hate all of that. And then I read this and I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. I get why people would like it. So that is The Silent Companions by Laura Purcell. Oh, it sounds so good. It <laughs> sounds so awesome. Yeah. Is it, are they like, like they're haunted dolls that you see? I can't tell you. On, on eBay? Oh, I don't know. Is that the? I have to, I have to look them up. I don't know what okay, I don't know what yeah. the haunted dolls on eBay are. I, this is not the Whoa. realm that I am familiar with at all. Okay, yeah. I, that's what I always. Anytime <laughs> I see anything referenced like that, I'm like, oh, I've got to get one of these for each of my siblings. For <laughs> I Christmas. feel like your family would appreciate these dolls and this book. <laughs> we're not messed up yeah. at all. Oh my gosh, we are going so long. Okay, we will be right back okay. with uh, what we're reading this week. Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? Um, I'm reading The Grace Year by Kim <gasps> oh. Liggett. And, oh, what? Just, I've heard good things about this. Oh, Tell good, me. good, good. Um, I almost put this on my favorites list, but I also have not finished this one yet. And so I didn't feel like I was far enough to in it to add it in good faith. But I really am loving it. So, um, so I wanted to make sure I talked about it. And it is YA. It's a dystopia. And it's narr- narrated by a 15-year-old girl named Tierney who lives in a society where teenage girls are, and women generally, but especially teenage girls are considered dangerous because of the magic that um, actually seeps from their skin and it can drive men mad with desire for them. So they, uh, the society, in order to combat this, sends 15-year-olds away for their grace year, which um, is when they're at their most potent and they're on the verge of womanhood and they're too, they're considered too wild to be with the rest of their town. So they spend that year away um, basically to give full force to their magic, but they're safely tucked away from everyone else. So they can't do anything. And then they come back and they're ready for marriage or for work. And no one talks about what happens, but everyone knows that not all these girls are going to come back. So something very awful happens along the way. So Tierney hates the system and she sees how it's used by men for their own gain. So there's at the very beginning of the book, there's this, this kind of episode where a man accuses his wife of magic and she is disposed of and he's able to get a brand new young 15 year old wife so um it's abused for uh sexual purposes essentially um so she doesn't want to get married and she just wants to work so she can have her maximum independence but on the day before the leave the girls leave for the forest there's the ceremony to to determine who is going to be selected as a wife versus who will be working and Tierney is is surprised and furious when her best friend picks her to be his wife even though he knows that that isn't what she wants so she leaves with all the other girls um for the settlement and they uh the the traveling the journey is incredibly dangerous because poachers are following them the entire time and they're hoping to snatch one of them for their body parts to sell on the black market because that's believed um that since they their magic is the most potent at this time they can be used for medicines or for use serums um and even just stepping one foot off of the path like half of your foot leaves this designated path and you are vulnerable to poachers. They're, they're that ready to get you at any time. So while they're traveling, there's a mean girl that, that Tierney has grown up with named Kirsten, who is doing everything possible to exert control over others. And she plays mind games and terrorizes them. And she's trying to punish Tierney for not, uh, falling into line with this, this system that the, the, uh, society has created. So the problem besides, 
everything that's happening at home is that no one is protecting these girls within the settlement. So they have these guards on the outside, but there's no one inside to regulate anything. So they're not safe from each other. So they might survive the poachers, but they could die at the hands of everyone they're living with. So it's kind of this Handmaid's Tale meets Lord of the Flies uh, mashup, and it's completely terrifying. And it's very obviously commenting on current fears of female female sexuality in American culture, Um, but not even just sexual, just female anything. Um, There's a lot of fear about that. (laughs) And so uh, it's commenting on the efforts to regulate women without any expectation of male self-responsibility and how women are pitted against each other in this in that system that we that we live in by men and that this uh in this book that can cause death and so the parallels are obvious but it doesn't feel heavy-handed at any point and there are many lines that that i've read in this that have made me pause and um i just have really loved it and i met the author at y'all fest um last month and she was completely lovely and i would love to see this book get some attention and and particularly some awards attention Mm -hmm. and that is the grace year by kim liggett yeah, I'm, I mean, it's definitely getting buzz, I think. I've, I've heard of it, and I'm, I'm not hearing good. of that many YA books unless they're rising to public consciousness right now. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, uh, what I'm reading this week is Light from Other Stars by Erica Swyler, and this is science fiction-ish, like soft science fiction, I would say. It is. It takes place in 1986 during... Um, the time right after it starts with the Challenger explosion that happens and it's based in a small in a town right near Cape Canaveral so they're very involved in everything that's happening at NASA at the time lots of people that live there have some sort of association with NASA and the main character is Netta who is 11 years old and watching as many as many kids did that day watched in her classroom Uh, because there was a teacher on board, Christy McAuliffe, I think is her name, who was part of the crew that when the Challenger exploded, um, they all, they all passed away, obviously. And so it, 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 it really affects this town and this young girl. And then years later, in, in an unspecified time, but she is just an adult now, she has become an astronaut and is on a space vessel of some sort, like a space station, uh, <laughs> with three other astronauts. Netta's father is an ex-NASA scientist, and when the book opens, he is working on research that you're not exactly sure what it's doing, but it has something to do with manipulating time. He is trying to get either time to slow down, time to speed up, something to do with time. And then an accident at the same time, um, right around the same time as the Challenger explosion, causes his um, his experiment to go awry. And her Netta's best friend kind of gets caught in this experiment and it affects him, but not her. So it's all about the characters and how they respond to all of this external stuff that is happening, both the the experiment that goes badly and then the Challenger explosion and then the experiment that goes goes badly basically affects that whole town in very odd ways. Um, And so it's kind of like a coming of age story, even though it has the trappings of being a science fiction story. And part of what Netta's parents are dealing with 
is the loss of a sibling of Netta's that she was not aware of. So it's like they're kind of a little bit distant from her and she doesn't know why. Her mother is a baker but was actually a chemist who set aside plans and aspirations of being like a scientist at NASA potentially or somewhere some research capacity to become a baker so there's all this kind of like underlying stuff going on about the relationships between the characters as well as sort of the science fiction aspects of it so it's it's really more about grief and love and family and passion and what you do with that passion even more than the science fiction stuff um, and it kind of has a melancholy tone like it's it's definitely not an uplifting book I wouldn't say although the uh, I did finish it this morning and it ends well I would say but that is Light from Other Stars by Erica Swyler that sounds really it good was, I quite liked it yeah I thought it was good so um all right so we we have given we you quite a few titles <laughs> So let's go back and list them all off, Anne. Okay. Um, I talked about Fingersmith by Sarah Waters, Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid, Pumpkinheads by Rainbow Rowell and Faith Aaron Hicks. Sorry, I put that on different notes. <laughs> um, Confederates in the Attic, Dispatches from the Unfinished Civil War by Tony Horwitz, The Lost Man by Jane Harper, uh, The Woman's Hour, The Great Fight to Win the Vote by Elaine Weiss, Notes from a Young Black Chef by Kwame Anuachi and Joshua David Stein. I did my notes on two places. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm messing that up. Uh, the Chestnut Man by uh, Søren Sveistrup. How We Fight for Our Lives by Saeed Jones. Once Upon a River by Diane Sutterfield. And what I'm reading this week is The Grace Here by Kim Liggett. Okay, and I talked about The Flat Share by Beth O'Leary. The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay, The Bookish Life of Nina Hill by Abby Waxman, The Gown by Jennifer Robson, Recursion by Blake Crouch, Stray City by Chelsea Johnson, When You Read This by Mary Adkins, City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert, Get a Life Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert, and The Silent Companions by Laura Purcell, and then what I was reading this week was Light from Other Stars by Erica Swyler. If you would like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. Find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Fair. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com, where you can find a listing of all those books that we talked about in this episode, as well as every other episode. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Thanks for coming back after our long hiatus. Uh, Here's to a great 2020 coming up. Happy holidays to those of you who celebrate, and happy reading.